Isn't that just amazing? I am so thankful that each week I get to come here and listen to such great music. If this didn't get your heart ready for worship, well, you might need to make an appointment and come see me. <laughs> Today we will continue looking at uh, the prophet Ezekiel. Now, Zeke, as one of my friends calls him, um, is an interesting character. He lived through a very uh, rough time in the house of Israel. Now, if you weren't here last week, a little reminder. Uh, Ezekiel was born into a priestly family. He was a priest for Jerusalem. But he lived at a time where Jerusalem was wiped off the face of this earth for all practical sakes. And he was part of a group of exiles to Babylon. And in his exile, these priestly people, this priestly class, were kind of out of work. Without a temple, you're kind of out of a job. But Ezekiel was called by God to be a prophet. So he is a priest turned prophet. And as I spoke last week, if God ever calls you to be a prophet, turn around and run. Because it is not a profession that you want to be called into. It was rough. He had to say things to people that he knew that weren't pleasant. And he had to go through some really tough times. Now, Ezekiel not only prophesied to the people, but he also lived out many of his prophecies. Read the book. We're not going to cover all of it. We don't have time to. And some of it's probably not for the ears of our little ones in the congregation. So if that sparks you on to read this book, go ahead and do so. You have to kind of hang in there. It's a little bit hard in visions and, and things like that. But it's worth reading. It's worth getting into. And today we are going to be in the 16th chapter. Now, as I was reading this chapter, I began to think of me and my wife Natalie's favorite pastime, and that's binge-watching TV shows on Netflix. Raise your hand if you do that. You can confess. So, you know, if you're not into this binge-watching craze, what that means is you, you don't just watch one TV show like we did growing up where you had to wait a week for the next one. You could get into these series that you've never seen before because some of them were originally aired in, in Europe and places like that that were brought to America for our entertainment value. But you watch one, two, three, and there's been some times where we've probably watched a whole series in one sitting. doesn't happen often. We have too many other responsibilities, but that's what binge-watching shows are. And so one of our favorite types of genres is crime TV shows. So all different ones, you know, from, from Bones to our latest Broad Church, it's kind of an interesting one. It, it's got a lot of uh, dramatic pauses, though. It's kind of hard to watch. They could have condensed it down to about a 30-minute show, but it'll drawn on and on for about an hour, but it's still worth the watch. Now, one thing you'll learn about crime TV shows is that witnesses are not very good. Generally, when something very traumatic happens to them, they become fixated on that one thing. So if they are, say, robbed at gunpoint, all they can do is describe that big gun that was pointing in their face. I mean, this is based on reality. And if something dramatic has ever happened to you, a lot of times you just get fixated on that one thing. Now, we can do that as Christians. We can get so fixated on that one thing in times of trouble that we can't see the overall picture. The book of Ezekiel kind of points that out to us a little bit. Now, 
We're not going to get into all the background on what was going on, but in the house of Israel, they had to come account for the way that they lived their lives. Judgment was pure and simple. But growing up in the American Baptist Church, I got to experience these uh, fire and brimstone preachers. Have you ever heard them? Pounding on the pulpit. They become great illustrations. But they were fixated on this one thing, weren't they? And they were quite effective. And it was the judgment of God. It scared the mess out of you. Have you ever gone to one of these apocalyptic plays? I mean, you went home kind of shaking a little bit. So what does that have to do with our sermon today? Well, sometimes we can get so fixated on God's judgment that we miss the reason for the judgment in the first place. And sometimes we can get so fixated in the bad things that are going on around us, we don't look back and see how we are a part of it. And in this chapter, this is one of the longest oracles in the Old Testament, so all of chapter 16. And, and it begins this way. I have to flip back a couple pages to get there. It says, Again, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man. Make known to Israel her abominations. So this is a trial of some sorts. This is a calling to account of what they had done. And so the problem was going on, and God knew this, that as exiles, they couldn't see the big picture because they were suffering. They had seen their family and friends die at the sword of their enemy. They had suffered from starvation and all kind of other things. And so they couldn't see all this stuff happening to them as anything good from God. And at the time it wasn't. But covenants are kind of like that. They are good in the beginning. They, they sound great. They, they promise us blessings. But covenants are also kind of like these treaties that countries make to each other. Now, I've been along, alive long enough to know that treaties between two countries never last all that long. Some of them will stay longer periods of time, but there's too many differences a lot of times between the countries. That basically, a treaty is formed when people just get tired of fighting. You know, somebody once told me is times are peace is when everybody is reloading. There is some truth in that. But there was a treaty made between God, a covenant between God and the people way back in the book of Genesis. It was to a man named Abraham. Now, if you come on Wednesday night, we've been going through the first 11 chapters of Genesis. It was talking about creation and the counts. Now, Genesis can be broken down into two basic sections. The first 11 chapters is the creation of the world. Chapter 11 through 50 is the creation of the people of Israel. It's through Abraham and all his descendants. But do you remember what happened, chapter 12, when this took place? This covenant, this blessing, was for the fact Let's find it. 12, verse 3. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And you and all your families of the earth shall be blessed. So there is a blessing. 
But it goes on to say that they are to be blessed so that they can bless others. There, there was a part of creation that mankind was made as a blessing for this earth. They were called to create and subdue and have dominion. Now, dominion is a power word. It is a word that shows strength. But that is not how God intended us to reign in dominion. Our dominion is to be that of a farmer over the weeds and a flower patch. The power that we are to bestow is to weed out the bad so that the good may flourish. And the people of Israel failed in their task. They were to be a shining example for other nations to see. And so let's look at our text for today. Back in Ezekiel chapter 16. Through all the pain and through all the anguish that these people had suffered, there became a message a message one of old that will become current in the future days. In chapter 16, verse 59, it tells us this. Thus says the Lord God, said, I will deal with you as you have done, you who despise the oath in breaking the covenant. Yet I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth, and I will establish for you an everlasting covenant. Then you will remember your ways and be ashamed. When you take your sister, both your elder and your younger, I give them to you as daughters, but not on account of the covenant with you. I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall know that I am the Lord, that you may remember and be confounded and never open your mouth again, again, because of your shame, that I atone for all that you have done declares the Lord. So even in the confines, the context of punishment, of judgment, of fury, of fire, all this kind of stuff, there is a note of future. When the world around you is crumbling, when your homeland is far away, and all you can see is the dark and destruction in this world, God promises a future. It's hard to see that. Now, in chapter 16, as it goes through the litany of everything that these people had done, you have to think, why in the world will he do this? Well, Jerusalem was this shining piece, this example for others to follow, but yet they fall the way of Sodom, as it says. Now, don't be confused on what the punishment of Sodom was for, for God explains that. If you turn back over uh, to chapter, in chapter 16 to verse 49, I have that on the slide. It tells us, Behold, this was your guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride and excess food and prosperous ease but did not aid the poor and the needy. So what do you think the sin of Sodom was? Sodom and Gomorrah. It's one of those things that happened back in the book of Genesis. Where are we as Americans today? We pride ourselves on being a Christian nation. We all have abundance. We all have extra 
Even the poorest among us are rich in the eyes of the world. Can you imagine living off a dollar a day? There's a documentary on Netflix, if it's still there. There was a group of sociological students from New York. They decided to see what it was like to live in poverty. So they rented a place down in Guatemala. And they had a task to see what it was like to truly live off a dollar a day. And so they rented a house which already was above the means of the locals. But for a New Yorker, this was something else. A block hut with a dirt floor. But yet they tried to adjust their experience because these people didn't know if they were going to get a dollar today or if they were going to find a side job and maybe get a little more. So the way they did it to make it fair on the experience is they had a dollar per day for the time that they were there. They put numbers in a hat. Some days they would draw that number out. It would say zero. Could be two zeros in a row. They would go hungry if they did not have a little bit of food already put up. Some days it would be five. Some days it'd be six dollars. Can you imagine living off of this income? Now, prices for food's not much different there. You can't just say, oh, well, you know, inflation, all that kind of stuff. We're thinking of different numbers. No, a dollar a day is still a dollar a day. It's a pot of beans and maybe a little rice. For four college men, think about it. How much do you eat when you were in college? I ate way more than that. Went back to seminary in my later days, tried to eat like I was before, and you can see the results. So where is your pride? Where is your wealth? What are you doing with your excesses? We're looking for the latest piece of technology. I struggle with that one. Or getting the best seats at a Texas Tech game or maybe Baylor. Where are you going? What is your excess money spent on? Do you think about the poor and needy outside your door? For that was the sin of Sodom. And you saw how it came to pass. But when we think of God and his justice and judgment and all these kind of things, we think of God in the wrong light. Judgment isn't there because God hates us. Judgment is there because God loves his people and he wants the best for them. In the covenant of Abraham, there was implied blessings. But it was a call for them to be a people a people of God, one that would live by his words and his statutes, that as they grew from their infancy would be given more and more responsibilities. Through the Exodus and Moses, we have the Ten Commandments and a law to live by. They failed there. We all somehow fall short. So why is it important that we have judgment? Because God is a holy God. He is wholly just. And his holiness cannot stand for our sinfulness in his presence. And so there must be a cleansing. So when we think of judgment, don't think about hatred and an angry God just waiting to do you in. Think of it more as a stomach bug. Now this may be a little graphic for some of you, so you might want to close your ears if you have a weak constitution, but a stomach bug is something that we've all probably experienced. It is not the bug itself that does our body in, but our body itself is doing us in. 
Our body turns on that virus or bacteria that is in our system and it treats it like an invader. And it does everything it can to purge you of that sickness, of that outside influence on your life. If we take medicine to try to keep it in, it may alleviate some of those unpleasant symptoms. But it will not help evacuate that blot in our life. And so God in His holiness and in His judgment and in His right of the covenant saw Jerusalem as a need of a cleansing, a purging. There was not going to be any more rituals or acts of self that this city anymore as a group of people could do that would appease God and His justice. Because they had failed to live up to the covenant. So don't look at this chapter as one of an angry God. For God in His love did this. And He left us a witness in Scripture so that we may see it. Because even when we go back in the book of Genesis and see the flood, the flood wasn't about an evil, angry God. But it was about cleansing this world. Cleansing this world of the evil that humanity had introduced in its sinful pride. So this chapter, this oracle, is one of laying out the crimes of the people. It is also one about restoration. For God admits in verses 53 through 58 that these people, these witnesses for us, these examples for us were going to have to first be restored before they truly understood how God was on their side. And so he restored a people. He restored them to their land. And they rebuilt their temple that would be destroyed. But they knew that even with all this stuff, all these blessings that had returned to them, that it still wasn't quite enough. They had their land, sort of. They had their temple, sort of, because there was these other ruling powers, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, all had influence over this area. And they knew that even though they had what they had longed for, that they weren't fulfilled yet. But God said in this chapter, Back in verse 59, we'll read it again if you missed it. It says, For thus says the Lord God, I will deal with you as you have done. He will hold them accountable for the crimes that they have committed. You who despise the oath of breaking the covenant, yet I will remember my covenant. I will remember that I called you to be my people. That I called you to live different, that I called you to be a blessing to all the earth. It says, I will establish for you an everlasting covenant. So for the people to learn, for the covenant language to pass, and for them to realize that it was their crimes that sent them into exile, God would restore a people. A people destined to bless the earth. But yet when they knew that it wasn't quite the fulfillment of what they had longed for, they started searching for a Messiah. 
There were many little messiahs that history has lost in the sands of time because they would lead military revolts and try to oust the Romans so that they may have their country back. But it was never about the country. It was always about God and God's people. And so, in a tiny little town of Bethlehem, the prophecies of old began to be fulfilled. And that everlasting covenant was established in God's own Son, who would live a normal life and for 30 years live a life of insignificant. But for three years, three years of an earthly ministry, he went throughout all the towns, healing the sick, raising the dead, and they crucified him for it. The very Messiah that had been promised to bring about deliverance. Those same people who were given the covenant way back with their ancestor Abraham. They had him killed. But in doing so, Christ did not stay dead, but he was raised again. And in doing so, this people who received that covenant, who failed to keep its promises, brought to the world a Savior who would not just be a Savior for the descendants in Abraham, but who would truly be a blessing to all the earth. And so that is how it happens. In the promises of the Old Testament, we have a faith of the new. Because from the beginning of time, God created man and woman to have relationship with Him. When we threw it away, God would first cleanse the whole earth. And then he would call out another people. A people that he would bless. That he would groom. That he would put it in a place of honor. Who took that position and honor for granted. And thought it was something of their own doing. And they failed at their task to be a people of God. Because just like Sodom. In their blessings and in their excess. They failed to tend to the needy and the outcast in their presence. And so he took it away again to cleanse the world. But this time, he took it out on himself in the likeness of his son, and Christ was crucified. And all who believe in the son believe that you are corrupt and full of sins, that in restoration that you have seen indeed that your past life had called you to account. And you do indeed stand before a God of mercy and love, but also a God of justice. And in that justice, he has the right. He has the duty to hold you accountable for your crimes. But those of us who have a faith in Christ, who believe in the work of Jesus on the cross, when he looks at us, he sees the red blood stains of Christ has cleansed us of all those sins, all those crimes that we have committed. And we stand holy in front of the holy God in an everlasting covenant. Please join with me with a word of prayer. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, we are thankful for today. Lord, we are thankful for the witness of Scripture that you have given us. 
Lord, give us eyes that we may see, that we may see our past, and that we will learn from the way that we were, the way that we were guilty and had fallen and not living up to your command. But Lord, give us eyes for your Son, for Jesus, so that we may partake of this everlasting covenant that you had promised. You had promised to a defeated people, one whose pride and selfishness turned them away. But above all, Lord, give us the strength that we may be this covenant people, and that with our excesses and with our privilege and our advantage, that we live as you would have us live, as caregivers to the poor and the needy, as those who would stand up for injustice. But Lord, it is not us that can accomplish this task. It is only you. Let our hearts be full of you so that it is your work that lives in us and through us to this place and this time. It is in your name we pray. Amen.